Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Hey, Vinay, man. Great to have you on. Thanks for joining. Hey, Ledge. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Very excited to be here. All the way across the pond. Vinay's in London, so uh, this is a lot of fun. Would you... Would you mind giving you know, a two or three minute you know background story of yourself and your work and uh, and what you guys are doing together? Sure. Um, so I'm actually originally from from Australia. Uh, worked in a worked in a few different kind of careers, I guess, before making my way into into startup land. And was the last thing I was working on before Process Street, which is where I uh, kind of the idea was generated, was I was running a marketing company. We were doing lead gen for consumer finance. So we were driving like credit card leads for Citigroup and insurance leads for Geico, a lot of online advertising. We're running a distributed company, so, you know, fully, fully distributed. And we were looking basically for a lightweight workflow product, something that works, something like, you know, IBM Process Builder, but was as easy to use as Gmail to manage a lot of our repetitive ad testing processes that we we're doing. And, you know, just kind of in true nature of scratching, scratching your own itch, just started looking on the internet for something, couldn't find it, started building it internally as a um, internal tool for our team first. And um, once we got our own company on, we started showing it to other people. And everyone's was like, oh, this is really cool. We could use it. And uh, that was like the, the point where we're like, oh, maybe this is the, the bigger opportunity. And so that was kind of like 2014. We spun it out into its own like product and, and, and started showing it to people and getting on some, some early users, uh, went into an accelerator called AngelPad in New York, uh, went through that and then you know, we were off, rose, uh, raised like a venture round and, you know, started growing the team from there. Right on. And you guys are fully distributed, so all around the world. Talk about how that fits into you know the whole thing. Yeah, well, um, it was actually my third. So I was I was already running a distributed company before, and I was running one before that. So it was kind of already in my in my DNA by that point. Um, also, my co-founder and I really enjoy like the flexibility of a distributed team. So it was something we wanted to kind of continue with. It was a little bit trickier actually back when we first first did it and kind of talking to investors. There wasn't really too many um, example kind of success stories of venture scale remote companies, but now we can kind of point and there's a lot of companies that are you know hundred million, five hundred million dollar plus kind of kind of company now, and the model is really starting to prove itself out. 
there's a lot of reasons for that, but technology um, enablement has been a big part of it for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, right here we are right now, like, you know, I don't know, 5,000 miles apart and having a real time conversation and relatively high def video. So, I mean, you completely imagine that, you know, I think the vision has finally caught up on the technology side. Exactly. I, I'm curious, you know, so like, I think there's a good product question and, you know, what you guys have done. Because, I mean, think about like, you know, process tools and to-do lists and project management, SaaS tools. I mean, there's like endless numbers Mm -hmm. these things how did you guys like you know arrive at something that is different enough and you know what wasn't there and you know how just talk about how that that came about because it might be intimidating for someone to enter a space and kind of go hey i'm gonna home grow something because nothing exists it's almost like hey man like everything exists right there's always a solution uh, right. but it didn't and and you kind of you scratched an inch like what what was the itch well, it existed in the enterprise. So there was this 300 legacy workflow. You'd call it like business process management products, SAP workflow, IBM process builder, Microsoft SharePoint, Oracle has a product. Like every big kind of incumbent software, $100 billion software company has like some type of product. So it's not that it the problem is new. Um, it's more that it was... Uh, making the, the making the solution more accessible, I think that's probably the big thing, right? So a lot of the incumbent kind of platforms, they're you know they're on premise. You need to set up your own server, and you need engineers, and you need to customize the code, and do all this stuff. And um, so we knew that the we, we knew the problem that we had, and we knew that the solutions existed. They were just way too expensive and complex to to for us to use as a small business of twenty people, and so. Um, you know, just looking at how other products and pro project management is a great example where if you look at something like Trello or Asana, they're consumerized versions of Oracle Primavera or Microsoft Project, which are very similar on-premise clunky kind of first-gen solutions. And we kind of look, and I just kind of looked at it. I was like, well, if they did this for project management, why haven't they done this for a workflow yet, right? And um, that was kind of the, the insight. And then there was also a lot of just, you know, um, ignorance, I guess, right? Where <laughs> it's it's kind of like the the entrepreneur's um, optimistic kind of mindset, right? Where you're just assuming you're going to do it better and uh, you can do it better than other people. And a lot of the time, like that's kind of sometimes that illogical mindset is also required to build a successful company because, you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of hiccups, a lot of setbacks along the way. And if you don't kind of, if you're not optimistic about your ability to deliver a better solution, you know, you might stop at any one of those points along the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm always curious, like where, where is like, what do you give up when you're, you're trying to take, you know, these super enterprise things, you got to make it simple, which means, you know, you're, you're trying to make it more accessible, hire UX, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you got to strip out like 80% of the, you know, sort of ridiculous stuff that's in there. Yeah, right? So maybe, like, I mean, how maybe do you not. Um, 
Yeah. So, and I don't know, we didn't even really explain the product, but essentially, you know, I can say it's business process management software or workflow software, which is what the investors love to hear. But for most people, that doesn't really mean anything. So like what, checklist. Uh, and, exactly. An easy way to explain the product is like checklists, checklists for businesses, super powered checklists. So you've got a checklist, like this is what we do every time we set up a customer. This is what we do every time we hire someone. This is what we do every time we open the store in the morning or close the store in the evening. This is what we do every time we create our end of month reports, right? Just like the set of steps that need to get done in some type of repetitive business activity. We let you, um, you know, document and implement that into the system and then run checklists. So for example, mm -hmm. if you have like a monthly process, you kind of set it on a schedule and each month it gets, it gets run and it gets assigned to your finance manager up. and they, yeah. they do it. And then once it gets done, you could even like, you know, post it as an email to the to your CEO or you could push it back into your QuickBooks system. You can start doing kind of all this fancy automation stuff. Yeah. You know, when you have like a new employee that comes in, you can automatically send them a contract, which they sign and comes back. And so you can start to like, you're going to have a set of tasks, right? That need to get done in a business. And, and some of those tasks need to get done by humans. Like go to the store, unlock the door, open the shutters, right? Like take the cash out of the vault and count it and put it in the till. Like those are kind of human related uh, or tasks that need to be done by a human call the customer book a meeting, you know, like those are, those are pretty human oriented tasks. And then there's a lot of tasks in, in a lot of these steps that are better done by machines, right? Like, so, you know, copy this data into Excel or like mm -hmm. copy this data into a document and then send it in the e-signature tool to like, the customer or to the employee, those things like copying and pasting and things like that, those are things that are, that are much better done by machines. So what we try and do is we, we, we try and take as many of those steps as possible and automate them, right? And there's all different ways that we can do that. And that could be, you know, for example, so you don't have to remember each month to go in and run this checklist or we could plug it into your Salesforce. So every time you get a new client, it automatically runs the checklist and assigns it to your customer success team or all sorts of different things that we can do to kind of make that process more efficient. And then now we have all this data on it. So you onboarded 50 customers across six different reps, which reps did the fastest, which customers, you know, bought the most product. We can start get all this kind of like insight into the, into the processes that are being run as well. This is like, you know, smarter business and, and workflow management and and i imagine that there's a component of sort of um, employee engagement and sort of you know allowing people to kind of access and use their brains for more intelligent work you know this exactly. seems like a, a knowledge management or knowledge work type of enablement nobody likes to sit there and copy stuff from one system to the other and it's rife with errors and you know all those things so um i noticed you have you know the, the zapier integrations uh maybe talk about about that, you know, I've had this conversation before with, you know, ecosystem type apps that that really do the best when they're connected with other stuff that that resource itself. I mean, Zapier is huge. You know, um, what other kind of ways do you think about like upstream and downstream, you know, providers that make what you do possible? Yeah. So what you're kind of seeing is you're seeing um, with a lot of these, what you'd call systems of records, which is something like your CRM, your finance system, your support system, your HR system, which stores, you know, the CRM stores, it's the system of record for all your customer information and the, the finance 
system is the system of record for all your financial information. What happens now, a lot of companies are starting to buy 10 different SaaS products. They have you know, these different systems of records. They have a, a contract signing tool. They have some cloud storage. They have a project management system. They have an emailing tool. And a lot of the data now is getting kind of siloed in these different systems. So the sales team knows great what everything's going on with the customers, but Salesforce licenses are $200 each or something per, per seat. And so you're probably not buying a Salesforce license for everyone in the company. You're just buying it for the sales team. So what happens is like that Salesforce data now gets kind of siloed into the sales team. And it's difficult for teams in other, uh, the other teams that don't have access to those systems to kind of understand what's going on. And so what we see with uh, some of our most successful kind of deployments is we actually help with uh, what we call cross-functional processes. So processes that flow across many of these teams and that traditionally have been difficult to deploy because a lot of the data is siloed in these different systems. So client onboarding and employee onboarding are two great examples. So when you get a new client, you might need the sales team involved, the support team involved, maybe like a project delivery or implementation team involved, finance team collecting money. Um, And so, and then where we might need to ping all these different systems. So we might need to get some sales data out of here push them and uh, push some of that information into the support system, then like push the invoice out of the finance system. So and then same with same with um like employee onboarding where maybe it's this the HR team, the actual line manager, the IT team, all kind of getting involved to get a new employee set up. And so we really thrive in these like cross-functional, cross-team processes where we connect all the systems together. We give you a, a new layer of visibility across all those systems. So you can see like where is this process across these four teams versus kind of let me look at Salesforce and check this and let me look in Zendesk and check that and let me email this person and ask them where they're at with this customer and check the QuickBooks thing. Oh, I don't have access to QuickBooks. Let me email the finance person. Um, right, so right. it's kind of like a meta layer on top of all these systems. That it's like then- the sassification of middleware. <laughs> I mean, all the same exactly, siloing yeah. happened for every major enterprise app when it was on-prem. Exactly. And, I think, and like, then they maybe, build the workflow products, right. on-prem workflow products to solve this problem. And it's just the same thing happening again in SaaS. Yeah, versus yeah. I don't I think yeah. we had that like mythical idea that, you know, when we moved everything to the cloud, that it would be universally accessible. But now we just, you know, now we build a cloud-based and SaaS-based. We siloed it, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Because organizations still have people that sit in groups, you know. And the only difference no now is that smaller companies are experiencing this problem. Right, whereas, right. Whereas before it was like just the enterprises because the enterprises were the only companies that could afford they the could afford software. But now the SaaS has made like this, this technology accessible to you know, small and medium sized companies or even, even inside the enterprises, um, smaller revenue lines of businesses. So basically a line of business that might be responsible for $10 million of revenue versus 50 or a hundred or a billion. And so like those, those lower down, lines of businesses, smaller business units, smaller kind of products or, or, or silos in the enterprises that the economics didn't make sense. If my line of business only does 10 million, I'm not going to buy a million dollar product or a half a million dollar product, right? Like the economics don't work out, but now it does work out to buy a $30,000 product because the, now I can, now I can get 300 K in savings. I can make a 10 X return on that 30 K investment. Whereas if I paid 500 grand, I probably wouldn't get $5 million in savings on a $10 million line of business, right? Like that economics doesn't kind of work out, right? But it now works out. So a whole new kind of, and this is SaaS in general, right? But a whole new 
section of the market has opened up to kind of reap the rewards of software, right? I can always tell people that have had to make a lot of you know investor pitches because they can explain their business just like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. so um, talk about, you know, if you would, the experience of building up the, the team, you know, remotely and distributed. I mean, I know you, you said, you, you know, you did this before, so you, you kind of maybe have some best practices, you know, like it's a, people starting from scratch, I think now are much in the same way, they're much more likely to, you know, to jump on the cloud, right? You, you don't start with a, a bare metal server in your closet anymore or in a data center, you, you know, you just spin up your AWS account. And I think much like a checklist, right? You start to carry the best practices of building remote distributed teams of all different functions, you know, with you particularly. So if you're on your third run there, um, if people are thinking about doing that right now from day one, you know, what are the most important things kind of in order? Uh, good question. I think that, you know, I haven't got an exact ranking system and we're still learning every day. This is like the biggest company now that I'm managing. So there's new challenges I haven't faced before. And as we grow, as we grow as a team, there's, there's, there's different challenges that we've got to, that we've got to kind of solve. But one thing that's helped us a lot is just a good onboarding process. So for example, we have a process suite checklist that we send to people um, straight after they accept the offer. So this is well before their start date. It could be, you know, two, four, six weeks before their, their actual start date. Uh, a lot of the time they might still be like winding down in their current job when we send them this. And so we have like a kind of pre-onboarding checklist that people can go through. It does some stuff like automate, you know, collect some of their information, um, automate some of their paperwork. Um, but then it does all sorts of other things that help them get up to speed. So we have like a, a video that goes through like our mission and values and helps people kind of understand the culture. We have kind of like um, links and resources to like the org charts and the company structure and some of the background. And like, this is kind of like the, how the organization works and where you sit in it. We have a lot of kind of product training stuff in there so people can, play around the product and learn more about our product. Um, we have things like like our security processes and our GDPR processes and some of our like enterprise compliance stuff that we have to do. So uh, by the time people start, they're already got like a little bit of a head start than if they were kind of coming yeah. in cold. Um, so that works really well. And then obviously having good onboarding post day one, depending on what their function and what their team is. Um, one thing that we do that we find is really helpful is we put everybody that's new to the team on support. So everybody does like two week support sprint for their very first two weeks. Um, this helps them understand a lot about just like our internal systems. This helps them understand, you know, in, in this kind of onboarding checklist, another thing that we have is we have a pretty detailed kind of explanation of like how you should communicate in remote. That's really important. One of our values is over communicate everything twice. Um, and we try and like, you know, kick that off from day one. And for example, we have a whole, and a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we actually write is public as well on our blog, but we have a, um, an article on asynchronous communication and it talks about, you know, when you're sending a message to someone and it's in your, and you're in an asynchronous environment versus a synchronous environment, which is like, you know, you're using email or chat versus you're sitting next to someone or in the same room or on the phone or on zoom, then you need to provide more context, right? You can be like, if I'm in a, in a, in a face-to-face conversation, be like, Hey, Ledge, how's it going? And you'd be like, good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing good. Uh, I just had a question about this and that. And you're like, okay, yeah. What, what about, can you explain that a bit more? Yeah, I can explain that a bit more. Okay, this is your solution. So that was like a, a four-way 
like eight, eight points of communication, right? Like four from me, four from you, back and forth. That's That was fine because like in a synchronous environment, you can get through that in 30 seconds or a minute. But in asynchronous, if there's a 30-minute gap between each response, then that like right. eight points of communication stretches out to four hours. Even worse, if there's like an end of business day in between there or a flight in between there or something that's just going to like stick in an extra eight or 10 hour gap. in between. So suddenly like something that you can communicate in one minute synchronously could stretch out to like 16 hours or, or a whole day. Right. And so we kind of try to train people that, you know, package everything you want to ask in your first message so that when I see it or the person on the other end sees it, um, they can, they have all the information and all the context they need that in one response point, they can respond back to you. Right. So try and minimize the number of back and forths, um, in conversations. And that's kind of like an async. And how do you make that warm? You know, cause I think people have that, like, you know, back and forth type of thing. Cause they want to establish and continue to build rapport. Right. Well, so like, how do you, how do you remove that and kind like, hey, here's this, we have a warm culture and we take care of each other, uh, but I'm going to kind of be direct with you. You know, I'm going to say here, bang, 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 here's what I need um, in order to do well, the next Well, I think it's actually so, disrespectful it's, of someone else's time to like send a message and say, hey, what's up? And then like, and then they're, they're on a call and then like they're on <laughs> like back eight to that hours call later. and then two hours later, like, hey, how can I help? Yeah. And then you're on a call. And then like two hours later, you reply and you're like, oh, can right. you help me? I just wanted to ask you a quick question, you know? And then like, okay, two hours later, like, what's the question? You know, like I, it's, it's, it's disrespectful of the person on the <laughs> yeah. other end of that, of that communication to, um, right. to, to not offer everything up. Like, it doesn't mean you can't be polite. It doesn't mean you can't ask, you know, um, mm. you can't ask a, a normal greeting or ask how they're doing, but like, you should also include all the information that you need. So for example, like one of our um, processes is like in general, when you're communicating, especially when you're communicating about like support or something that a customer said, the process is you need to um, take a screenshot. You then need to have a link and you need to post that screenshot in Slack. You need to have a link back to whatever the sources of that screenshot. So the ticket or the the lead and the CRM, and then you need to have your question yeah. underneath. So any, so, any, so, you're so, very so that like on my phone, if I yeah, open that, that message on Slack, I don't need to click on the link, go to intercom, put in my username and password, find the conversation, scroll. What was he talking about? Like scroll up, like I, directly from inside Slack, I have all the context that I need to help that person with their question, right? No, it's a huge tip. I love that. Yeah, it's like you, you really have specified the best possible way to communicate in your environment and it's kind of oh, baked yeah. into your your values even so that's that's one of the big just like on a process weak points of a distributed team right is like you lose a lot of this high bandwidth communication right because you do, you're not sitting next to each other um so you need to build additional systems to handle that right and i think that's a big place where people trying to do remote fall down and also when you see like there's a lot of failure stories around partial remote where half the team is, is in an office and they're like, Oh, we're yeah. having trouble filling some of these roles. Let's just try and hire them remote. But their communication processes are very much organized around and on an, an, in the office team. 
And so they don't kind of implement the correct systems to, to open up that communication bandwidth with their remote employees and then all this stuff breaks down, right? And then like, oh, this is not working because um, that person's like not on the same page or they didn't understand or they, you know, they didn't ask enough questions, whatever. And it's like it's, a lot of the time it's like a communication breakdown problem. Um, and so, yeah, making sure that you have those. Yeah, and, and I think your point is correct that, you know, the communicator owns more of that than the person who is receiving. And, you know, the, well, even the, the hybrid team manages to own that, that right? Like, it's not such that it's not natural, right? If, you, if you're not yeah. used to working remote, you, you know, it's, and you don't have experience with that, you're just going to continue communicating in the way that's worked in your last other five jobs, right? Like, you know, it's the job of the manager to set set those processes and, and understand like the risks of their business and build systems to, to ma manage those. Yeah, absolutely, man. Great insights. Yeah, I love that. Exactly what I was trying to get to. Well played. Well played. All right. Let's so before we wrap here, I told you we have the lightning round. All right. This is this is critically important stuff. All right. Star Wars. All right. Star Wars or Star Trek. Oh, um, I just got right a trillion dollar coach, the Bill Campbell, uh, the Bill Campbell story, which is like the new book that Eric Schmidt just put out. And Bill Campbell was like the most famous Silicon Valley coach. So he coached Steve Jobs, Eric Schmidt, Larry Page, Bill Gates, like a bunch of crazy people. So pretty excited about that. Yeah. That's gotta be a good one. Uh, uh, my portable battery. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. What's the uh, last thing you had to Google um, for work? Jesus, I don't know. I Google a thousand things a day. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I, I was just, I just pulled up um, some of Paul Graham's essays to share with uh, one of our one of our teams. Classic, classic. Yeah, the, like the, best, the OG the best of... startup content. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So, so exactly right, right. So this this is always funny when I talk to somebody in the UK because you know. So you're probably aware of the Office. You probably have the the UK edition, and I don't know if you watch the US edition, but um, in the US edition, there's there's uh, Jim is the is sort of main guy in the office, and Dwight is the the heel of the office, right? And everybody picks on him. Um, so there's this classic episode where Jim is sending Dwight faxes from future Dwight and he's messing with him and he's saying like the coffee is poison and you know, all different stuff. And so it got me thinking, you know, I like to ask people, you know, if, if right now you right now are future Vinay and I give you a piece of paper and like one of those big, thick black Sharpies, you got to send a fax back to yourself uh -huh. I don't know, 10, 15, whatever years ago. I actually have a good so answer for this because I just tweeted something like this recently. Um, you can check out on my Twitter. But uh, <laughs> it was basically, um, I used to be very productivity obsessed. And I used to be very obsessed with like efficiency and getting things done as fast as possible. Um, and I now kind of believe that prioritizing what you want to work on and then executing the highest priority projects with leverage is actually a more likely path to achieving my goals than just kind of focusing on being really productive. Um, so, so if you want me to kind of unpack that a bit, 
So yeah, exactly. So, with leverage. Yeah, talk about that. So what you work on is more important than how hard you work on something. So, you know, you could work really, really, really hard at digging rocks all day, right? And, and you know, optimize like your pickaxing kind of process or whatever, like as much as possible, but you're probably not going to be as successful as someone who owns a whole mine of like uh, all these various leveraged machines and all these people and all this capital and, you know, so picking what you're working on, A, is more important. You want to pick on something that actually, you want to pick to work on something that has more capacity for scale, more capacity to add value to the world, right? And then two, you want to execute on that with scale, right? So um, again, you can work on something really, really hard, but you only have 16 waking hours a day, right? And if you are just trying to execute something just with only like the, you know, the sweat on your brow, right? And nothing else, there's only so much you can achieve, right? Cities aren't built by one person. Like nothing, nothing great is built by one person, right? Just doing something, you know, no big company, no big city, no war was one, right? Like, and so if you want to kind of achieve something bigger, um, you need some type of leverage. And so that could be people or capital or code or content, but like uh, using leverage to help you achieve your goals versus just trying to kind of struggle and do it all on your own. That is very tweet worthy. Excellent. Well played. <laughs> cool. Hey, well, Vinay, man, thanks for spending the time. Really appreciate the insights. It's great to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Ledge has been the fun. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.